0: programs, treatments, or products. We thank you for joining us and are proud to provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs community. And now, on to the interview.
1: Hi there. Are your kids struggling with reading and writing? Get them the support they need with read and write software for the desktop, Google, or iPad. These proven software solutions help those with reading and writing difficulties, learning disabilities, or English language learners. Read and Write Gold text-to-speech software provides tools for reading, writing, studying, and research for students while they work within the common applications they use every day. Learn how the Read and Write family of products can help your struggling student by visiting www.texthelp.com. Dot com or call 888-248-0652. If you're ready to buy now, get 10% off when you buy on their online store with the Coffee Clutch code, and that is CK14SAVE10. That's CK14SAVE10. My name is Dr. Richard Selznick, and I want to welcome you to School Struggles. I, I'm proud to be a part of the Coffee Clutch team On School Struggles, we talk about a range of topics, including learning disabilities, dyslexia, special education, ADHD, and a whole host of other interesting topics that affect your child. I am a child psychologist and the director of the Cooper Learning Center, which is part of the Department of Pediatrics, Cooper University Healthcare, and we're located in Voorhees, New Jersey. I'm the author of two books both published by Sentient Publications, The Shutdown Learner, Helping Your Academically Discouraged Child, and the more recently published book called School Struggles. And you can learn more about these at my website, www.shutdownlearner.com, and you can order those on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble as well. I'm excited to have Dr. Steve Pfeiffer on the show tonight. We're going to be talking about Uh, a topic that is near and dear to uh, much of what I do, certainly, in my world. and, And I know many parents are struggling with this. We're going to be talking about writing disabilities. And Dr. Pfeiffer, Steve, is an internationally renowned speaker and author in the field of learning disabilities. And he has authored six books on learning and emotional disorders in children, Dr. Pfeiffer has 19 years of experience as a school psychologist and was voted the Maryland School Psychologist of the Year in 2008 and awarded the 2009 National School Psychologist of the Year Award. He is also a diplomate in school neuropsychology and a faculty instructor in the ABSNP School Neuropsychology Training Program. Dr. Pfeiffer currently works in private practice at both the Monocacy if I'm pronouncing that right. I'm testing my decoding skills there, Steve. Neurodevelopmental Center in Frederick, Maryland and Counseling and Treatment Associates in Bethesda, Maryland. He has authored two tests on diagnosing learning disabilities in children, both of which are slotted to be released in 2015. He can be reached at his email address is feifer, F-E-I-F-E-R, at comcast.net and his website to buy his books, both of which I have in front of, or two of the more recent ones I have, the great, uh, www.schoolneuropsychpress.com. That's all one word. Now, just before, Steve, before I give you some time, I just want to tell listeners that this is a two-part interview. Uh, the first one is going to end in about the 25-minute mark, and then we will be conducting a second interview that will be aired next Tuesday night. Um, so so the, we will do to be dividing this into two parts. If you would like to call in tonight for the first half only, you can call 646-595-2881 and I will do the best that I can to get you on. So Steve, Dr. Pfeiffer, welcome. Well, thank you, you, Rich.
0: That was quite an introduction and by the way, just flawless on your decoding skills. <laughs> Did I say that right? Absolutely. Monocacy. Oh, good. I
1: mean, I always pri- it's one of the few skills I've actually mastered in my life, decoding. I don't have too many other skills down, but the decoding skill I've got, I seem to have mastered, you know?
0: Well, you picked a pretty important one to master, so great to be with you Steve. <laughs> Thanks for true. having me on. We, we both,
1: you know, I, want, I also want to put in a plug for Steve. I have been to two workshops of his. Uh, that I've attended, and both uh, one on reading disabilities and a second one on writing disabilities. And I go for my own, you know, development and continuing it. And he, he does a really great job uh, with, a, with a wonderful overview. So I certainly would encourage anyone uh, out there listening to, to try and see him, if you can, and, listen, you know, and, and go, go on his webinars and his lectures. So, Steve, give me a, a brief sense of yourself, your background, what you do, that kind of thing.
0: Well, I think you summed up quite a bit in the introduction, Rich. Um, I did start off as a school psychologist, and um, you know, after a, a couple of years in the field, personally, I was getting disillusioned because I found that all I was doing was giving IQ tests to kids and putting a number on them, which tended to put a label on them, and basically was uh, giving justification for a child to to get a little extra help by going across the hall um, I, I i really uh... early on needed a bigger shovel to go digging a little deeper um, Simply giving children IQ tests was not telling me enough about how they learn, and most importantly, how to inform interventions and 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 help us select the proper interventions for kids. So very early on in my training, I, I sort of deviated and and jumped into a um, a neuropsychology training program, uh, which you know, for my own personal needs, I just thought it was fascinating, and then. Uh, probably ever since have tried to take what's going on in the neurosciences and and act as a bridge in a way and try to bridge some of that insight into the world of education uh, uh, to help kids learn. And that's really where uh, the emphasis of my career has been um, is taking a neuropsychological or brain-based perspective uh, to to help kids learn, whether it's through my, my, my speaking or Writing or clinical practice, um, that's always been my focus.
1: Yeah, uh, I I was thinking as you were saying, well, maybe you can hire me, Steve. I've given one too many IQ tests in my life, I think, so...
0: So, well, maybe, if, 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 if it would be an oh, honor to, to work <laughs> with you. Um, and I still, I continue to give IQ tests all the time. No. I just ask a little different question. Yeah. I stopped I, asking how smart are you, and ask a different question. How right? I smart? think that
1: that's uh, you know that I don't work in the schools, and I and I have in a sense the luxury of being able to interpret the IQ test in the way that I think that you you also. You, I've heard you speak about you know, different aspects of the cognitive assessment. So, you know, I think we would be on the same page with that. So tonight we're we're talking about, primarily talking about the writing process, although maybe if we we have some time we could also discuss some about reading. But I thought we'd take a, for the first part of this, take a different angle, rather than dive into the disability side and rather than dive into, you know, what isn't working. Let's take a scenario with someone who writes well, let's say a typical third or fourth grader, or maybe a little bit older, you know, someone who, you know, you give them an, what, I, what I always refer to as open-ended writing, you give them that assignment, and they do it fine. Everything's working. What, what, what are the elements that work positively for someone who, is, who doesn't have a writing disability?
0: That's yeah, a really good question um, <clears throat> because writing is is very complex number one, and number two, there are different genres of writing um, and some some kids could be good at one genre and not so good at another uh, for example, in school, we have a lot of objective writing to uh, you know to to explain uh, an event um, and that could be differentiated from more prosaic or narrative or personal writing to to convey a a personal experience. If there's one central um, skill, no matter what the genre is, um, it's something we call uh, executive functioning skill, in my opinion. And executive functioning is a nice, big, fancy word that, at the end of the day, I think really uh, is about how you self-organize verbal information for the purpose of putting it down on paper i mean we all have a lot of thoughts swimming around in our heads how do we capture those thoughts and coherently deliver them on paper so someone reading them can get a good grasp uh, of of not just what we're thinking but also and what we're intending to communicate but in a way that abides by conventional standards of 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 the english language so it is relatively complex. If you had to pin me down and say, "Well, what's the one skill that good writers seem to have?" I'd say it's good executive functioning. Yeah,
1: I would totally agree with you. <clears throat> Excuse me, and I and I think that you know, in, as you can appreciate, and I know that you know in your practice, you, you know, you try to translate this data to parents so that they understand it. You know, and I and I find trying to explain you know, the executive function. I was doing it this morning to a, to a parent uh, about her young boy and, you know, sort of explaining it as almost like a fuel line or a battery that was low in this particular child and that he didn't have much to draw upon then to do that writing process that's being asked of him. Is that one way that you might or how, how do you explain it to parents? Is that in line with what you, how you do it?
0: Yeah, I might I might need to uh steal that phrase if you don't mind down the road. <laughs> I've I've got have got
1: them all copyrighted. You better be careful there, pal. <laughs> okay. I mean, be careful.
0: Uh well yeah. I know I know where to find your book, so they might be in there as well. <laughs> okay. Um but I think so. I think we I think we throw these terms out these fancy psychological terms like executive functioning mm-hmm. and I've always said if someone says my kid has an executive functioning issue you know the natural response should be you know they're not telling you anything what kind it's such a broad bra mm-hmm. based type of construct what exactly are you talking about and um, you know in the world of writing it you know it it affects different academic skills in different ways. But in the world of writing, it's really, you know, the strategies that we're going to use to self-organize that information because we're going to deliver this in a certain manner. And that manner is going to be pretty slow. Paper and pencil uh, uh, transcription is a slow way to deliver our thoughts. It's not like speaking. I'm probably going a mile a minute right now. But writing is slow. It's deliberate. And uh, it is complex, and it's you know at the end of the day, how you know it, how effectively, how how well organized is the information to deliver on paper. If if parents
1: were not to be, let's just say they were to get their almost standard psychological that a special education team, child study team, whatever it may be, would would they be help them to to guide them as to where they would be looking in the report. So, for example, I know that when I start to see scores are below, let's say, eight on the active working memory section of the psychological portion of the test, that to me starts to feel like, uh-oh, we've got some potential executive function problems here. Is that how, can you comment on that?
0: Yeah, I think that's kind of where we start. Um, oftentimes, what you, what parents will see, and I think this is frustrating for for everyone involved, is the testing that we we do is we give it an achievement test of written mm-hmm. language, and um, there's many of them out there. And you might come back and you might use a metric like the student scored 85 in their writing, or the student scored a third you know, on a third grade level in their writing. Or at the end of the day, basically you're saying this is where they scored in their writing and maybe they're below grade level. And everyone will look around and say, yeah, we kind of knew that going in, but why are they below? That That's our central question. Not not always where. Where is important? Um, but the why. So when you start to look at things like working memory, to use your, your analogy, um, now we're going beyond just where a student scored. We're trying to we're trying to determine why, and that working memory component that's a great place to start
1: and is that it strikes me too that it's one of the reasons I know that the schools will I hear over and over well they're giving ot they're giving occupational therapy to address writing now hear me if anyone is an occupational therapist out there, I greatly value what you do I'm not criticizing occupational therapy when I say what I'm going to say, but I think that that's one level of addressing the writing problem, and it doesn't necessarily get at these issues that you're talking about.
0: Well, the first thing we talk about with intervention, is it a true intervention or is it an accommodation? Um, Now, occupational therapy, I think, is a wonderful type of intervention to help with the motoric end of writing for Mm -hmm. the kids. Um, And and we talk about in our book about three types of different uh, written language disorders, and one of them is just struggles with the motoric end, manipulating a pencil. And that's where occupational therapy can be of great value and benefit, and we we wholeheartedly endorse it. But more often than not, it goes a little bit beyond just the motor output. It has to do with uh, intrinsically how we're self-organizing our thoughts and our language and our ability to retrieve that language, hold it. I think working memory, a better term sometimes, is holding it. Can you hold those thoughts long enough to get it out on paper one of the things you talked about earlier is what should i be looking for let's say on a psychological if working memory is below eight should i look for that absolutely but another thing we look for is processing speed and if your speed of output is pretty slow well that puts a lot of pressure on working memory to hold 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 those thoughts long enough to get them out on paper and if you're a kid who's a little distracted, if you're a kid a little on edge with some anxiety issues, if you have uh, anything that might take your your eye off the ball, so to speak, um, chances are you're going to lose those thoughts before you can get everything out.
1: It, it's in, It's interesting what you say about processing speed. I think that both of those are very important in that regard. But I find parents, and I don't know if the, the whisk is going to be revised, I really hope they change the name of processing speed, in part because I find parents coming in and saying, well, you know, I see that he's got a processing deficit. He doesn't take in information very well. And I'm like, well, yeah, but on this particular test, processing speed is assessing their paper and pencil processing speed, their ability to kind of use you know to process visual information with it, with their pencil and and translating uh, it's even hard to explain it you know so so i find parents confused by the whole term processing speed you know
0: a lot of terms in our profession that are very, very confusing and and that is certainly uh, one of them because it's it's looking at one aspect of of, right. of processing speed and it's more the output you know how quickly you can throw something down and paper uh, and
1: pencil out down on paper
0: yes. absolutely yeah
1: you no know, i I'm already feeling the the pressure of the clock going down in terms of our, of our talk, so I want to really emphasize I think you have a great model in, 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 in your in your book and, and Steve's book is called The Neuropsychology of Written Language Disorders. It's a great text. And the model, I find it very helpful because I find people, uh, you know, coming in and asking about dysgraphia. And it has helped me to think in terms of these three different categories. So in the, in the say, eight minutes we have left here, apparently, Steve, um, what can you allow – you started with the – Go through the three different models of dysgraphia for us so that people out there can really understand it in very basic terms.
0: Sure, and we can do it in far less than eight minutes. Um, <laughs> so what we what we talk about, we tried to pull together a lot of research in neuropsychology and education and just kind of plainly say, um, you know, there's three basic breakdowns in the writing process. And when I talked to... Uh, to uh, psychologists and educational diagnosticians, I try to say if you just say someone has a learning disability, it's, not, it's too broad. It's not specific enough. If you say if they have a learning disability in writing, okay, we call that a dysgraphia. But let's take it a step farther. What type? We talk about three subtypes. The first is called graphomotor dysgraphia. And if you don't like that term, don't use it. Say basket number one. But that's basically kids, and we've talked about this earlier, we have difficulty with the motor output response, manipulating a pencil. Uh, an occupational therapist would have uh, uh, great impact here, but what else would have impact oh, so here? So
1: let me just, hold, hold on, Steve. So, mm-hmm. so I just want to make sure that, so this is number one, we'll call it basket number one, the graphomotor. So this is more, I just want to, to, to punctuate So in a sense, this is fundamentally a fine motor problem. Is that correct?
0: Yes, yes. And, um, uh, you know, these are the kids who, who are, are struggling to manipulate that pencil, so they're going very, very slow, and therefore it needs more of a motor-based intervention, such as an occupational right. therapist.
1: And, and that particular child may not, which I know you're going to get to in a second, they may not have other things such as a reading disability or a broader-based learning disability, right? they just It's more like an isolated form of, of a of a writing problem
0: That that is correct there's no they don't necessarily have a, a dyslexia or other type of language-based learning disabilities it's okay. more on the motor side and okay. some have argued rich that because we don't teach handwriting anymore in our schools and if you look at the common core curriculum nowhere within the writing core does it say Here's how you teach writing. Some have argued that we're grooming kids in this direction because we no longer teach them the proper strokes to make.
1: Right, right. There's a lot of that going on in a lot of different
0: areas. Uh, The second subtype we talk about of of writing uh, issues, okay, here's another one of those fancy psychological Mm -hmm. terms, dyslexic dysgraphias. And the dyslexic dysgraphias are a big, fancy term that says you've got spelling issues. Really, what your core problem is, is you're dyslexic. You struggle with reading. And we know children who struggle with reading quite often have difficulty in their writing, and it surfaces more often than not in their spelling. And within the dyslexic dysgraphias, we have different styles or breakdowns of of spelling miscues. I mean, some kids who really struggle to decode, the most common type of dyslexia, for example, fourth-grade kid reading at a first-grade level, because they can't decode. They can't mechanically crash through the words. Well, guess what? They, they, they spell uh, in that fashion as well. They leave sounds out when they spell, just right. like they leave sounds out when they read. And so they also
1: be... ha- yeah, oh, sorry, yeah, sorry. Sorry, go ahead.
0: So that would be our first, you know, kind of uh, example of a dyslexic dysgraphia, the kids who aren't uh, spelling properly because they're omitting sounds.
1: Now, those kids, beside the omitting of sounds, they, my impression is that they also have tremendous difficulty with writing of sentences. Is that also part of the dyslexia dysgraphics?
0: Exactly, for a number of reasons. Um, a lot of these guys, and I'll just pick one, um, w- You know, kids recognize, look, I don't spell very well. So you have a tendency to only select words that are in your wheelhouse, that you're comfortable spelling. And you select words from a very truncated list, and quite naturally your sentence structure is pretty pretty vanilla, and it's pretty simplistic because you don't want to go out of your comfort zone because of your spelling issues.
1: Right, right. So it sort of has, in a sense, a self-limiting aspect to it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and we talk about a couple of other different uh, within the world of dyslexic dysgraphia, something called surface dysgraphia. Again, it's a spelling issue, but these are the kids who sound out everything fine. That, that That's not an issue. They Every sound you hear, they can represent in their spelling. The problem is really the English language. The problem is that in this language, among our 44 phonemes, uh, we have uh, uh, one out of every four words that's phonologically irregular. Rich, I cannot explain why knock starts with the letter K or why <laughs> onion doesn't start with the letter U. Um, we have a hmm. lot of words like yacht or debt or laugh that the only way we can spell those words correctly is we have to visualize them in the mind's eye. And uh, these are the kids who lack that ability to visualize what these words are you don't know that a g is in laugh unless you've seen it before and you have to draw right. upon that visual spatial representation so at right. the end of the day to be a good speller you got to hear the sounds you got to visualize the words and if it, you got to do them both and if something's lacking we're going to have some issues in the spelling yeah. process
1: now was that was there was that the third type or is there one more coming?
0: There is one more comment. So I'm still talking about within the world of dyslexic dysgraphias. That was our second subtype, just spelling issues. Some kids more difficulty with the sound. Some kids can't visualize the words. And then some kids can't do both. The third subtype and final subtype of dysgraphias are not kids with motor output problems, not kids with spelling issues. This is uh, really the most common type of written language issue we see, and it's something we call executive dysgraphias. These are the kids, this is what's the most common complaint from teachers and parents, is my child just doesn't give me much on paper. In a discussion, they have so much to say, rich knowledge, very articulate, that the knowledge is there, but then I ask them to put it on paper. We just right. We don't get very much on paper. And, and the reason yeah. is... The fundamental problem, poor executive functioning skills, difficulty self-organizing that information to put down on paper, and, and that third basket, that's probably the most common, the executive
1: Right, and that's guess. the one that probably overlaps a lot with the inattentive subtype of ADHD, right?
0: You are 100% correct, and I'm sure, Rich, in your work, when you have kids with AD, uh, ADD, ADHD, When you look at their academic performance, if there's one skill that they really struggle with, yeah, it tends to be with written language.
1: All right, gang, Steve, I knew the time would fly by. So we are going to say our goodbyes tonight. However, um, if you liked what you heard, and I hope you did, and Steve has a lot to say, he's going to, in the second part of the interview... He's going to talk about interventions, accommodations, 504 plans, that kind of thing. So that show will air next Tuesday night in the same time slot, or you can you can pull it up on iTunes or at the Coffee Clutch website. So I want to say good night to Steve and to others, and I invite you to visit my website uh, www.shutdownlearner.com and thecoffeeclatch.com, and, and visit. Our sponsors, Read and Write Software. And, Steve, thank you very much, and I look forward to the second portion of our interview.
0: I do as well. Thanks for having me, Rich.
1: Take care, Steve. Good night. Good night. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at chumbacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group, no purchase necessary. Boys were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18+. With lucky landslots. You can
0: get lucky just about anywhere.
1: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps>